1: 15 years on from the greatest Champions League final of all time we're here to have a look back on exactly how Liverpool did do exactly what they did in Istanbul to see off AC Milan and win their fifth European Cup I'm Guy Clark welcome to the Blood Red channel joining me to look back on that win then 15 years ago as Liverpool lifted old big ears up in the air Steven Gerrard the man getting his hands on the trophy our chief Liverpool writer Ian Doyle who was out in Istanbul covering the game Doyle, how are you? I'm okay yourself? Yeah, not so bad. Thank you very much. A man who was, well, we we here not watching this one on VHS tape recorder, Theo Squires. <laughs> Theo, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. By
0: this time, I've upgraded my technology so we can be a bit more happy with this. Caught the second half of this
1: one. Yeah, for those who don't get the reference, go back a couple of weeks to when we spoke about the UEFA Cup final in 2001 as Theo had to tape record extra time and watch that one during the extra goal extravaganza the uh, the following morning. And, Matt Addison who were, who was about with us in 2005 to watch the Champions League final a very young and impressionable red and Matt I suppose this game had a massive significance and impact on you oh. as as a young lad
2: yeah absolutely it was the the first season i properly remember um supporting liverpool as a as a, as a child and obviously yeah um sort of at that time you know when you you're that age you sort of think that those sorts of seasons happen season in season out and of course that isn't the case so yeah certainly when you look back you you certainly treasure it more than than what you did at the time
1: Dolly, I suppose it's hard to imagine or hard to sort of think, I know it is for myself, that that was now 15 years ago. You, of course, have been covering the Reds all through that time and and what a fantastic journey it was.
3: Yeah, it's been 15 years ago. It feels like five minutes to me. And then you have a think and you go, actually, quite a lot's happened since then. But yeah, I mean, I know we've been doing the series, haven't we, of the road to Istanbul and how Liverpool got there. And that's all part of the story, isn't it? That's what made the final so special, not just what happened on the actual night itself, but everything that was leading up to it. And uh, it was just like the final the final chapter of a very crazy, strange, unexpected story that, let's be perfectly honest, if you had written that and sent it into Hollywood as a script, prodigious would just go, no, this would never happen. This would never happen. But that's the kind of thing that sport, and football in particular, can can do. There were so many stories around the actual day and the evening of the game that I'm sure we'll touch on. You no, know, most of them over the next, you know, 20, 20 minutes, half an
1: hour. Yeah, we've certainly got plenty to go through with it, Theo. And it, it's one of those words, just the city's name, Istanbul, as soon as you say it, the, the memories, everything keep, just just comes flooding back.
0: Yeah, you just need to say Istanbul. And I think every Liverpool fan will have a smile on their face. Like they've had so many good memories over the years, so many triumphs. But I think this one's the most unlikely one. It was the most unexpected one we think of all the great Liverpool teams of the past, this current Liverpool team under Jurgen Klopp, they're going to be remembered the same way. That first team under Rafa Benitez was not like that at all. And yet they're up there at the same status. They are European champions. And they probably only had, what, one real world-class player, granted Xavi Vons, a bit later on. But yeah, it just shows how much of an impact they made that they can make this fantastic story when they had no right even getting to the final, never mind coming back from 3-0 down and everything else
1: around it. Yeah, let's quickly then just go round everyone, just sort of say when you hear Istanbul, what is the first thing that comes to your mind, the first memory that it, it conjures up? Matt, what is it for you?
2: Wow, well, to to pick one is is really, really, really difficult. I suppose it's sort of um, to be honest, it, it's the scenes when they came back for me, I think, for, for Liverpool city centre, similar to, to what we saw last year, of course, um, the, the day afterwards when they came back and, and paraded it round the city and I suppose for, for me, that would be the big one. But, I mean, you know, the, the, there's an infinite number that you could, could pick out. And certainly if you, you look through the photographs that, that were taken and certainly Colin Lane uh, from The Echo, the the, the uh, photographer, the, you know, if you, you look at his Twitter and and see a few of the things from, from what, you know, he took and sort of his perspective, it, it, it adds something new to the experience as well. Uh, so definitely, you know, check that out. But, yeah, there, there, there's so many... Iconic images, you know, not just from that particular night, for, but from, you know, the, the whole season, really.
1: Doyle, what about yourself? Do you mean, what do I think of when I think of Istanbul? Yeah, yeah when someone says, n- not the city's name, but when someone says Istanbul in this context, what's the first thing that... In this context? Yeah. Um, well, it was a lot of hard work, I'll tell you that. Um, but <laughs> I, remember
3: it, I remember still being at the stadium at three o'clock in the morning thinking, are we ever going to get finished here? Um, lack of sleep. Uh, also think um, just the actual journey, getting there, physically trying to get there. I mean, I flew out. I wasn't with the rest of the press at the time because I was still in I was actually still in work on, in the office on the night before the game at 11 o'clock at night. And then I actually flew out at 7 o'clock in the morning by Frankfurt. And the flight from Frankfurt to to Istanbul, um, it was absolutely packed with a connecting flight from Dublin, just full of Irish Liverpool fans who and most of them didn't have a ticket. They were just going. They just wanted to go and experience it. Because you've got to bear in mind, Liverpool hadn't been to a European Cup final for 20 years at this point. So And it was because it was so unexpected, and Liverpool were obviously nowhere near winning the Premier League at the time, and they'd gone 15 years without winning the Championship. That so this was something new for an entire generation of, of Liverpool fans in the, much the same way that the last couple of years has been for, you know, let's be honest, Theo and Matt's generation. It's something new for them as well. So, yeah, I remember, the, I remember landing, actually. I landed at the airport where all the Milan fans were sent, and there was absolutely nobody there. And so I phoned up my colleague at the time. who was Andy Hunter, who's now at the now at the Guardian. He was at the Daily Post with me at the time. He'd already gone out there. And he, um, I said to him, what, what, what should I do? And he says, no, you've got to get up to the stadium right now. And this was, bear in mind, it was about six hours before the game starts. He says, you've got to get there right now. Everything's absolutely crazy. We were there last night just for the training, and it was just insane then. And, of course, then I ended up partaking with everybody else on this very, very long journey to the... To the ground and you literally saw tons and tons and tons of taxis and cars and coaches and buses with it was almost all Liverpool fans just getting up to the stadium and you saw then you saw the snipers in the uh, in the hills I'm not sure what they quite what they were expecting but there was an awful lot of uh you know a lot of tales like that and I remember that the uh, the taxi driver who gave me lift from the airport he got me right up by the ground which was some go and believe me so I didn't have to walk that far and I, I just gave him a tip. I didn't know how much money I had because I got the you know, Turkish lira. It was just a ridiculous amount. So I gave him it. And then and he was like, oh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He was practically getting out and hugging me and kissing me. I think I'd give him about 50 quid tip. <laughs> so I had absolutely no concept of how much money I'd given him. But, uh, you know, you know, so that's happened. And I've not even got to the stadium by this point. So, you know, and then, funny enough, I bumped into two of the people that I used to work with at the time straight away who were just gone as fans so it was a that was the start of a very interesting night, which I'm sure you know every single fan who's been there has similar tales of you know some of them would who drove across Europe for the best part of a week just to get there because that's what you did when you wanted to go and watch your team. And I know it's the same for most other clubs, but for Liverpool it, it's particularly special because they had such a history of being in these competitions in the you know the late finals of the late '70s and early '80s. As I say, for that generation then. This was like, hang on, this is our time now. This we can now do what our parents, what their friends, you know, what my uncle or auntie or whatever, you know, people, the stories that they've heard from people who grew out, grew up, sorry, in the in the seventies and eighties, that they can now live out what stuff that they've only heard.
1: Yeah, that's the brilliant thing about it as well is, as thousands and thousands of Liverpool fans descended on Istanbul, each has their own little tale and anecdote of what went on over those sort of few days, as you say, whether it be getting there, whether it be the game itself, or even sort of afterwards, as Matt's already alluded to, even with the, the trophy parade. For you, Theo, of course, you'd upgraded from VHS to DVD by this stage.
0: Yeah, I, I was watching this one at home. I was allowed to stay up and watch the whole game. Um, I can't really compete with doily stories, <laughs> understandably. But with my memories of it, I think it's just, you remember, obviously, Gerard lifting the trophy, but it's more the goals because the game itself's a blur. It was such a roller coaster ride. But you're so excited. Liverpool in this European Cup final. You never dreamt they'd get there. And then within a minute, they're 1-0 down. And then you remember you play an AC Milan. You go through that team and it is 10-11 world-class players. And they've still got, what, Rui Costa on the bench or players like this. It was such a good squad. And then it becomes 2-0. And Kaka's just incredible. And it's three. You think, oh, Liverpool could have had a penalty. Was it handball in the build-up to that one? And it's like, just don't be five. Just don't be six. Let's have a bit of respect here. But you're still looking to that Liverpool bench and you're seeing Igor Bishkan, Antonio Nunes. And then just six minutes of madness. I don't think I can remember much of it. It's just the goals. Like You're celebrating one and then the next one's gone in. You you lose your head. It's only when you watch it back, you can really take it in. And for me, it's always the Clive Tilsley commentary. That always springs to mind when I think of the game. Like, Steven Gerrard's header goes in, hello, hello, Um, the European Cup is returning to England and to Anfield. And the commentary when Dudek makes that wonderful save in extra time, it's just moments that you're always going to remember. It was just, it's a game that had everything apart from a red card, pretty much. Like, Liverpool were down, had two players off injured, all these variety of goals. You had Vladimir Smica in his last game for the club, scoring when he didn't even expect to be in the matchday squad. You can just go through a whole team and pick these tails. It's just an amazing game to look back on.
1: Yeah, I think as much of it, Matt, you were saying this sort of being the first real season that you remember supporting the Reds. As Doyle's already touched on, so much of it was actually about the journey to the final and then the final within itself was an unbelievable story as well.
2: Yeah, literally every step of the way it was, you know, the underdog coming through and and somehow pulling it out of the bag, obviously typified by Steven Gerrard. And, of course, the whole thing wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for him. But, yeah, as Theo says, it's just story after story after story. And so many different facets of it are just so unbelievable that... As Doyle said before, if you wrote that as a script and and sort of you know told it to someone who who wasn't alive maybe at the time maybe they were too young to remember it they they just would not believe that it happened and you know I, I remember at, at half-time, obviously Liverpool three 0 down and my mum said I oh, you might you might as well go to bed now because you know it's over kind of thing and you know me, me and my dad sort of you know convinced her that you know probably I should stay up and I remember him specifically saying, you know, this this might not happen again. Liverpool might not be in a Champions League final again in his lifetime. So he needs to to stay up and watch this because, you know, this might not happen again. And of course, two years later it did. And, and obviously last year it, it did as well. But I think that just underlines the fact that, that Liverpool were such underdogs at the time as well, that, you know, Liverpool fans, if you'd have asked anyone at the start of that season, do you think you'll get to a Champions League final? Not a chance any of them would have, you know, would have betted on that at all. So, you know, as I say, it, it just underlines the the underdog status that Liverpool had. And game after game after game, they just kept on on winning. And, yeah, eventually the, the final was the most sort of underdog moment of them all, particularly at half time. But, yeah, even talking about it now, it, it, it's hard to, to believe that something that unbelievable actually happened.
1: And I suppose that half time team talk, the half time antics that went on in the dressing room, Doily, are, are something that have become something within themselves of just how big a moment it was. You, of course, of those watching on YouTube, can see the book behind you, Diddy Haman's book. He, a central figure during what went on at half time. And it is quite a crazy tale, really, isn't it?
3: I mean, it is. I mean, if, if, it, it's interesting because when you were there, you just didn't think Liverpool were going to have any sense of a comeback because as Theo said everyone who was there was thinking oh this best not be 5 or 6 and of course when you hear some of the players saying it was saying exactly the same thing so of course we weren't aware of what was going on at half time in, uh, in the dressing rooms but what we were aware of is what was happening outside and you know we've heard the stories of there's a couple of people certainly more than a handful of people decided they've had enough of this, we're going but about halfway through the half time period then the crowd started saying you never walk alone but it was a bit different, it wasn't like upbeat, it was more like a like a lament or something like that so we just looked at each other and went you know they're probably feeling a little bit sorry for themselves that they spent all this money to get here and now this has just happened so yeah i mean that if you want to talk about football briefly the the fact that her man wasn't playing in the for the, in the you know in the first instance was a surprise to everybody we were like you know what's he doing here can't you he see that you know Kaká's going to do this and you know this is going to happen in the midfield and of course that's what happened and then he had to make the substitution with Smicer coming on in for Q instead of Herman and, and stayed with it. And you got to be in mind, it was only one nil at that time. Liverpool was still okay, still in the game. I know they ended up winning it, but there was you know what I mean. They were still in the game at one nil, and it was only just before half-time where Milan scored those two goals. So, yeah, when her, when Herman comes out for the second half, you just thought, well, they're quite desperate not to lose five or six nil, and then within about you know it fifteen minutes, it was three all, and. So, speaking from a journalistic point of view, I've been asked this question before. Uh, by was it really difficult covering that game? Well, it's actually no, because all the goals were so, scored in such a short amount of time, and there was still half an hour to go of normal time. So, it didn't wasn't didn't involve any rewrites or anything. It was just like, okay, what's just happened there? And you know, as Theo said by the time you're thinking, oh, that's a goal oh, gonna just go again, and then it's like, oh, it's a penalty. So, you kind of got caught up in it in that sense. But then after that. You know, anyone who's covered games as well knows that penalty shootouts can be fairly straightforward in the sense you can just get things ready. They've won or they've lost. It's as simple as that. And there's always like the goalkeeper is the hero or somebody's missed the, the villain kind of thing. So from a working point of view, that wasn't too difficult. But it was only like days and days and days afterwards that you realized what actually happened. Because for a lot of people, the fans and for me as well, actually, you were either at the game or you were at the parade was very few people who were at both because it was almost a physical impossibility there were some flights that left istanbul on the sunday morning straight not Sunday, it's thursday wasn't it It was a wednesday thursday game so on the thursday morning to get back in time but for most people the it was basically like the team had two celebrations the one at the stadium and then the one around the city which i know was a lot like what happened
1: last year yeah, I remember actually speaking, you mentioned the Road to Istanbul series, speaking to Stephen Warnock, and he, like Chris Kirkland, I think Neil is another one who, who didn't make the celebrations back at back in Liverpool after making it back, but just quickly with yourself, Doyle, you're mentioning there just in terms of the experience reporting on the game, this, of course, before Twitter as well, so I was going to say to you, I, I imagine you were there furiously typing away, kept looking back up, and things were changing, but it wasn't like you were live documenting it on social media as you do these days.
3: No, but don't forget, we still had a newspaper. I wasn't yeah. on the match report duty. Andy Hunter was on the match report. I was on the comment piece, so you still had to file stuff for on the final whistle. So I was still expected to do a thousand words, which, for anybody who doesn't understand how many you know words we normally do, that's quite a lot. Low to Theo, that's normally his first two powers. Um, <laughs> so sorry, Theo. Um, but yeah, so it's quite it's quite a lot to turn around. But because everything happened in such a short amount of time, it was it was a long way to go. You did find, you know, it's, it's you find yourself sometimes getting carried away with things or getting caught up in the event. I think that's one of the occasions where you are. I mean, everybody. There wasn't okay. There was the Liverpool fans and there was the Milan fans, but then there was the neutral fans of which there were few of because Liverpool fans bought up nearly all of the neutral tickets. But then even in the press box, there would have been Liverpool leaning people, AC Milan leaning people, even the ones who kind of were reasonably neutral. They were getting caught up in it because it was just ridiculous what was going on. And probably the one that Got most reaction was um dudek say from shevchenko in the in extra time because i think it's like the world slowed down because right by we were at the left hand side of the where the cameras were we were at the left hand side of them in that in the big stand at the ataturk which by the way is just in the middle of nowhere and it literally is just like a moonscape and it was actually quite cold to be honest for the the game because it didn't start till quarter to ten i think local time so it wasn't particularly warm but it was on the left-hand side where the made that save, so we were quite close to it. So when the header comes in, I think oh, that's a good save, but he's, he's going to, oh, hang on, what's happened there? And you could see people getting it in the press box, like going like hands on the heads, going, what on earth just happened there? You know, people who weren't normally particularly fussed. So that's the kind of game it was where people were getting really into it. And I think, looking back, the minute Serginho misses the first penalty, you were just thinking Liverpool have won, because everything had just gone their way. And... And never at any point during that penalty shootout did I think Liverpool would get beat, which isn't always the case for, you know, when you, you know, when you watch teams and you just think, this is happening, it has to happen. That was the feeling. And I think in some ways that was the feeling amongst the Milan players as well. They were still, you know, the whole through extra time because they, they wouldn't say they battered Liverpool, but they were definitely the better team. They had the better chances. Can you name a chance Liverpool had an extra time? Can't really think of one. Was, I think it was a recent shot that went miles over. That was about it. So, you know, Milan did what, the best that they could do in terms of the talent, but you only have to look at what some of the players have said since that in the heads that they'd gone and the minute the penalties missed, you, Vice Virginia, you know, Liverpool are going to win it was just a matter of who would score the winning penalty or who, as it turns out, would uh, would miss.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that, Dudek Save. Isaac Red10 on uh, YouTube's got in touch with us and said, oh, Dudek Save, best moment of the final. Ashley Johnson says, Stevie G header, what a header. Theo, I just wondered the moment for you when you thought actually Liverpool are going to do this in terms of completing the comeback or or actually, in fact, getting their hands on the trophy. Um, it's
0: probably Dudek Save I want an extra time. just because... Protracted. Luke got back in the t- in the game, but it was still um, square pegs in round holes. Like you can say it's tactical genius from Raffle, whatever you want. But he wanted to take off Jimmy Traoré, didn't he? Uh, but Steve Finnan was injured, and then it was this weird makeshift formation where you've got Jamie Carragher as a right back and a cent- third centre back at the same time, covering that whole flank. And then an the extra time, you got Stephen Gerrard going as like this right wing back to stop Serginho. and it was just it wasn't a way a football team should be able to win a game. It was just, oh, this is the best we've got. We're going to have to try and make it work. And AC Milan, you can just go through that team and it is 11 world-class players. They should have won that game. They should win any game they're in. You just get these special teams every so often. So to get to that close to penalties, you know, Liverpool had a chance just because they've got such a good record in penalty shootouts. And if you're an AC Milan player, you know they'd have had that mental fertility then that they've somehow... Got into extra time and they got to penalties because you thought in that ninety minutes Liverpool got it back to three. It'd have only taken one AC Milan goal for their to drop again. Just, just they had that balance, they had the control, they had that belief, momentum from it. It would have taken the next goal, would have swung it either way. But as soon as Dudek makes that amazing save from Shevchenko, you look at his face there, Shevchenko's face. He just couldn't believe he's not scored. It's like ninety nine times out of a hundred, that's a goal. And then you see that exact same look again when he runs up to take his penalty he's not scoring this his, his head's gone and Dudek stands tall makes his save It's one. it's great it's all the emotions you can feel out of it and you just think, the stories Dudek's had in his Liverpool career he's always had his highs and his lows but to manage to turn it on when it mattered most it's why he's always going to have this special place in Liverpool fans' hearts it's quite funny when you think looking back that was his last game as Liverpool's first choice goalkeeper Rafa was not going to let him keep his place out of sentimentality within a few weeks Pepe Reina was sold yeah, I'm signed, sorry sorry
1: Yeah, and of course, one of three goalkeepers that was used along the way with Chris Kirkland and Scott Carson during that run. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Peter Houser's got in touch and says, I watched it the other day and looked at our lineup against AC Milan. Then given that they were 3-0 up and what happened in the second half, well, it was supernatural. Will it happen again? No, that was destiny. And Jason Irish Red says, I remember watching it on the Irish TV channel RTE and when Dudek made the double save, the commentator George Hamilton shouted, that's it, Liverpool have won the cup. And I suppose as significant as winning the cup, Matt, was the fact that in winning the cup, Steven Gerrard, rather belatedly, albeit, nailed his colours to the mast and remained a Liverpool player forevermore?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, obviously a huge thing going into the final, as far as I remember it. That was a a big topic of conversation. And obviously, you know, it goes without saying the, the huge influence that Steven Gerrard had that season and in the seasons that followed as well. And obviously, Liverpool's fan base at the time, obviously you know, when you've got a player as good as that and as important as that, they obviously wanted him to stay. But there was obviously a sort of almost a a trepidation that he might go and and join one of Liverpool's rivals. Obviously, Chelsea at at the time were the big spending powerhouses and and a team that Liverpool had come come up against so many times. And it just, you know, looking back, it it makes you think, you know, what if, if Liverpool hadn't have come back what if they'd got two goals back but they you know they lost three two. it it changes the entire course of, of the next few years for liverpool and, and who knows what would have happened if you know not not just for liverpool as well if if he'd have gone to chelsea what would he have done there and i know that you know since he's said that whatever he could have achieved elsewhere it, it wouldn't have meant anything compared to what he did for liverpool but you know it, it just goes to show how different things could have been and yeah i think Obviously, winning the trophy was the big thing for Liverpool, but possibly a, a close second was that 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 he stuck around for for the years to come after that as well.
3: It was actually it was winning it was winning the trophy that nearly prompted him to leave. To be honest, because the season before Chelsea had tried to sign him and he hadn't gone, uh, and then after that Champions League final in the press conference directly after the game, he came in with the trophy with Benitez, and he, he was obviously asked about his future, and he says, "How can I leave after a night like this?" and within about eight weeks, I think it was, then the story came out that, yeah, he was leaving for Chelsea. I think Chelsea, was, I can't remember the number, I think it was about £36 million, pounds, which seems a lot now, lot now, you know, 15 years ago. Imagine how much that was actually worth. And it turned out, you know, it, obviously we know he changed his mind, but part of the reason is that he wanted a new contract and Liverpool basically put it on the back burner because they just assumed that he was going to sign. And, of course, Gerard where a lot of his career is based on not insecurity, but in, you know, he certainly needs to feel as though he's wanted somewhere, which he's been fairly honest about in his in his well, and the interviews that he's he's done with me as well. So he said this and he was thinking, well, hang on, do Liverpool actually want to keep me here? Why aren't they why I've got one club like Chelsea making a massive play for me and his manager Mourinho and, you know, Benitez doesn't seem to be, you know, okay, we've won the Champions League, but where's the club going and why aren't they coming in and saying, oh, we need to sign this right now, straight away? So there was a bit of a mixed messages. Not obviously, in the end, he, he decided to stay. So, I think, in a way, you, you're right to say that you would do wonder what would have happened whether he'd been swayed more easily towards going f- towards Chelsea had Liverpool not won, because obviously that got Liverpool in the Champions League as well, because they'd finished outside the top four that year. To so Everton finished in fourth, and but the whole fallout from it. Was that was an example of where Liverpool missed? Well, they nearly missed the opportunity to sign a contract. You know, famously, the club shop was was shut the following day. You know, they, there was a huge commercial opportunity which they didn't grasp. And that kind of showed at the time that Liverpool perhaps were a club that, for all the talk of we're great, they've won the Champions League. Now we're back at the top tier. They weren't really. I mean, they, they finished something like thirty, was it, thirty-seven points behind Chelsea or something stupid like that. There Was a lot of points behind Chelsea in the uh, in the Premier League table. I mean, the following year, they won the FA Cup and f- finished was it third or third I think it was and then Champions League final following year after that so there was progress then of course to finish second 2009 so but well, that was in the backdrop of Hicks and Gillette and all of that so to say that 2005 was kind of the reason again the reason why it's so special is because and it's so unexpected is because it was so out of place for an awful lot of what was happening around the club at that time and I think you're right that uh, I think it was Theo said that the, the kind of players you looked at the ATM land team and you were thinking, Well, you know, look at these players, these are almost all great players, apart from John Dal Thomson, who I can't stand and he's rubbish otherwise. Um and uh, and Liverpool's Took players the penalty all bit. Yeah, well the thing is that's the thing, he had to go and score his penalty, didn't he? I was feeling at that um but you look at Liverpool's players, you've got the likes of you know Jimmy Traore, even the you know, Louis Garcia, players like that who you know, by their own admission, they're not the greatest players that's ever played for Liverpool, but they will always have a place in the heart to Liverpool fans and they will always be if not so much legends, but they'll be heroes because of what happened and the fact that in some ways they represented what the city of Liverpool's all about. You know, his you know, they may not be the greatest, but they all stick together and look what they've achieved and they've done it against the odds when nobody expected them to do it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, Theo, just in terms of like what what Doily says there and about Steven Gerrard staying and everything like that. Without wanting to overdo it, do we put too much significance into that match, or really was it one of the sort of key games that actually enabled Liverpool to stay at an elite level as a club? Because albeit it's a giant club, a giant fan base, but even if you look at the opposition that night today, AC Milan, they've fallen a long way in the last few years, and the road back to getting to the heights they once, once scaled look an awful long way off right now, whereas winning that Champions League final in 2005 enabled Liverpool to get in the Champions League a couple of years later, again get in the Champions League final, sign a player like Fernando Torres. I suppose it's all about the building blocks and the wheels being set in motion, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Because if you look at the, the whole season, if you rewind to the summer before Gerard Houllier has gone and you think Liverpool, much of their start, thinking at the start of the decade millennium was trying to get back to closing the gap on Manchester United and Arsenal. And Gerard Houllier was a huge part of that. It was his project to try and get Liverpool back to being champions. Um they finished second in 2002 he has his heart attack and it drops off and they sort of lost their way, didn't they? Um, you have michael Owen going to Real Madrid, star player at the time. He was on the bench against Graz for Rafa's first game, um not allowed to play because they didn't want to be cup tied and sell him for even less. And they stumble through the group stages like on paper if you've got a group of monaco deportivo La Coruña, and olympiacos you're rubbing your hands with glee like you're thinking oh that's it we're in the knockout stages but, but apart from they, what they beat monaco and they really struggle through the rest of them and it was only Gerard's wonderful goal against olympiacos that got them through and then you think oh we're just going to enjoy the ride because we're not going to be out here long you get bail everkus and you think oh we might get to quarterfinals But then that Juventus team, like AC Milan, it's 11 world-class players. That Chelsea team, that's probably Mourinho's best Chelsea team. And they still progressed. They got through. And it will just make players around the continent at the time think, maybe there is something about this manager. Maybe there's something about these players. Like, he is doing this with this quality. What can he do with the next quality up? And we always say every year, how important getting into the Champions League is for clubs, for the finances and everything. Um, It's more important now. Back then, if Liverpool missed out on the Champions League, they hadn't won it, they hadn't qualified. Who's to say when they could have got back into it again? Just because that springboard of getting in in 2005, 2006, granted, it wasn't the strongest signings we've seen from Rafa. They weren't the worst by any means, but like you think Peter Crouch, Bolo, and Pepe Reina, great, good players, but they're not that next level up. But it took Liverpool to that next level where they could compete more with those teams, the English teams in the Premier League, they compete more with European teams. And then let them stand to uh, take that next step. Because arguably, it was winning in Istanbul that got Hicks and Gillette through the door in the first place. Yeah, we all know how badly that fell apart, but that's what got Fernando Torres in. And that got him to the next level again. And Liverpool have had all these European memories. with fans, journalists have been covered and all that. And if we hadn't had that 10 years later, could you see Werdenkopp turning up? Could you see Liverpool springboarding again? Who's to say they've just been mid-table fodder? It's because they've got those memories and they've got these special players that have managed to keep them within the the top elite clubs and have just managed to claw it back. And now for the first time in, what, 30 years, they're at the very top table looking down on everyone else.
1: Yeah, amazing to think, as Dolly said before, Matt, that prior to this, it had been 20 years since Liverpool had been in a European Cup final. Of course, they've been in three more since Istanbul.
2: Yeah, it's uh, even more amazing, really, when you think it was Rafa Benitez's first season. He's come in and he's organised that group of players, as, as we've discussed before. You know, the, they weren't the most gifted and, and talented group of players, but it was that determination and, and that mentality. And I know you spoke to, to Liverpool's physio, Dave Galley from from that season. And he, you know, said something very, very similar. It was, to, you know, as much to do with... You know, obviously, individual brilliance from Stephen Gerrard at certain moments of that season, but it was to do with that group mentality—that sort of together, this never giving up. You only have to look at, at Jamie Carragher. You know, the, the sort of pain that he was in with his, his cramp and that sort of thing, but he just kept going. He, he just bulldozed through it and, and carried on playing and playing and playing. And in the end, you know, they, they got the reward. So it was uh, obviously an incredible achievement, but it comes back to, to that mentality and it's obviously something that you know, Jurgen Klopp is, is very keen on these days, the, the mentality giants and, and that sort of thing. It, it was exactly the same back then with that group of players. They made each other better. They were inspired by one incredible, brilliant player. The rest of them were, were nowhere near his level, but certainly they were a level above what they would have been if they weren't together as a group and, and they weren't inspired by Steven Gerrard. So yeah, the the fact that it was Rafa's first season and and he managed to to achieve that was was incredible. But yeah, as, as we've discussed, the the level of players was not a level of player that you would expect to go and win the Champions League, and it just made it that little bit more special. I think.
1: Yeah, certainly likes of Dave Galley, Jimmy Traore, Diddy Haman, Luis Garcia and Rafa Benitez, nonetheless, have all been speaking with the Liverpool Echo. So if you want more of an Istanbul fix, head to the Liverpool Echo website and you will certainly find more there. Well, to finish us off then, to, to wrap us up for the, for the last 10 minutes or so, we're going to switch our attentions to the Bundesliga once more here on the Blood Red podcast, as everybody seems to be doing, talking about German football right now. And the reason we're going to do so is because of one central transfer target that the Reds are supposedly looking into signing, scoring a hat-trick at the weekend, Doily. And Timo Werner, he, he doesn't seem to have a quiet weekend. He seems to be doing something all the time, and the links just continue to persist.
3: Well, he he probably did something all the time, but anyway, but we weren't paying any attention because there was Premier League football. So, you know, he's probably timed it right in that sense that he's made people sit up and take notice because they had no other choice, because there's no other football, basically. So, uh, no, he's... he's, um, The links won't go away because Liverpool, obviously, Jurgen Klopp is... He's a fan of his... The fact that... um, Werner's come out and several times said he loves Liverpool. Well, he loves the way Liverpool play and he would love the opportunity to to work with Jurgen Klopp. Suggests he quite fancies a move. I mean, let's be honest. We don't know because nobody knows in terms of what's going to happen over the next few weeks and months with the transfer markets, whether clubs want to spend big on players. There'll be some that probably might might take the chance, but even Manchester United last week, what was it announced? Was it twenty six, twenty eight million £28 million loss over the first? quarter of the year and that's with only a little bit involving the uh, you know what what's happening at the moment with coronavirus so there's been another couple of months on top of that. So I think that was an early warning for everybody. But it's I, I think it's just a question of whether Klopp sanctions going for him. Because it's clear that the player wants to come. And it's it's, it's ultimately going to come down to, to what the manager wants because I think if you know people have shown in the past that they're quite happy to back uh, FSG are quite up to back Klopp and he's quite sensible over what he wants. He doesn't come out and say, look, I want to spend a hundred million pounds on player X, Y and Z. He he, he does prefer, you know, the, the, the younger, not so much the younger players, but the players that he knows he can work with and players he can improve because he's proven that with every single player that he's bought. You know, even the likes of Sadio Mane Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino, all very good players, but they've become even better playing for Liverpool. And part of that is, is because of Klopp, and we can go through all the others, like Wijnaldum, and you know, possibly possibly only Van Dijk's the one where he he came fully formed, and Alisson Becker, actually, to be fair. So there's the pair of them. And, of course, what did Liverpool do? They spent an absolute fortune on the pair of them. So are Liverpool going to spend £70 million on Werner? I don't think so. But if he became available for a lot less money, and Liverpool thought, well, this is now the time, and there are other teams looking at, at perhaps signing him, then perhaps Klopp and FSG would be persuaded to make a move. But until then, it's just going to be rumoured interest. And the fact that so many Liverpool fans are now watching him, it can only strengthen his case in terms of, he can turn around and say, well, all the fans want be to join. But then, you know, any player could say that couldn't they? So I'm not sure that's going to make too much of a difference. But at least it's giving, it's giving fans an opportunity to see a player who, you know, could ultimately, whether it's this year or next year, end up at, at Liverpool and whether or not, they feel as though he's somebody that could improve the team.
1: Yeah, it does seem to be a different space, this one, though, Theo, in terms of certainly the Bundesliga players that Liverpool were reportedly interested in, Jaden Sancho and Kai Havertz, other two, but this one seems to be a bit more concrete in terms of just how many rumblings you're hearing of it. Of course, we've been doing these kind of things over video conference type thing for, for months now, and Raphael Honningstein, the German football expert, speaking with BT Sport, has said that Klopp and Werner have actually had a, a virtual meeting and that Obviously, the way that Werner's contract is structured with the release clauses, it would be a deal that wouldn't be too complicated to finalise and perhaps in a normal time would have been done sort of April, May before the end of a season. But now might be something that's pushed back towards August or September, he says. So it does seem as though there is actually sort of talks going on with this.
0: Well, the contract Timo Werner signed with Leipzig last summer, it was pretty much the end game of getting him a move away from Leipzig. He wanted his move to Bayern Munich. They wanted him to stay tight and leave on a free agent. That didn't make Leipzig very happy. So they came to the best agreement that would suit Leipzig and Timo Werner. But it's still got these release clauses in it for him to ultimately get his move one day. And that's why it's different to Kai Havertz. It's different to Jaden Sancho. Because when you're talking about them potentially going before all this happens, um, you're saying that's going to be 100 million plus for either of those players. Whereas the release clause, the reports are saying, is what, about half of that for Timo Werner. And he does seem like the sort of player that would suit Liverpool, that would fit in. Like It's very telling that he is coming out and he's so vocal about wanting to play for Jurgen Klopp. Um, when you say, compared to, say, Havertz, who was asked about his speculation about his future and he basically refused to say it, saying he's focused on the season with Leverkusen. But watching Werner at the weekend, what strikes me is the variety in his goals as well. Like He looks like he could fit any role in that Liverpool front three. Um, in the first game back in the Bundesliga, he started on this left-hand side, um, cutting inside so that Sadio Mane role but he was still roaming all over which is basically what Roberto Firmino does um, and he was more of a false nine yesterday but you look at his goals first one, he's timed his run into the box perfectly first time finish across the keeper second one, it's a really, really good team goal he's involved heavily in the build-up and then he's in the right place at the right time to get the finish and the third one he's one and one and chips the keeper you can see Sadio Mane doing it you can see Salah doing that you can see Firmino doing that He's like almost a combination of all three. So you can definitely see why there's interest on Liverpool's part to potentially bring him because he would suit the role. And throwing a bit of attention on now because Bundesliga football is the only league going on. But I think it's quite telling when you look at his numbers. This season because he's, what, 28? He's coming up to the 30-goal mark now. And you think, that's decent. Most strikers, 30 goals in a season, you're very happy with that. He's not had that great at 2020. Only four or five goals before these last couple of weeks have been in 2020 which is funnily enough since he started talking about wanting to get the move to Liverpool so you think um, I know he's had his critics over in Germany that he's let his head get turned he's wanting off already and that's why his form's dropped and now all of a sudden everyone's looking at the Bundesliga it's the only European league major league going underway and he's turning on the form again little reminder to Jürgen Klopp in Liverpool perhaps but you're going to want to pay pay this release because if you want to sign me I'm going to have my suitors and I'm showing how good a player I actually am
1: Well, Gary paul has got in touch with us on YouTube. He's got a number of questions and opinions to to get off his chest. It says, when was the last time we spent some money in the transfer window? It's not down to what Klopp wants. It's if FSG will pay up. We spent a fortune, he says, that that time when Liverpool bought in Van Dijk and Alisson because we sold Coutinho first. Well, Matt, last week you spoke with football finance expert Kieran Maguire. You've been speaking to... uh, The RB Salzburg coach Jesse Marsh this week, a very exciting interview that we'll have on the Blood Red channel for you on Tuesday afternoon. But effectively, Matt, certainly from your chat with Kieran Maguire, he was telling you that actually Liverpool, if they did really want to complete what what would look like a £52 million deal, they would have the finances available.
2: Yeah it was uh, an interesting chat with him and, and the sort of suggestion that, and his thoughts on the situation were that you know Liverpool could find a way to structure the deal perhaps that you know would would suit both parties but you know just in, in terms of the release clause and that sort of thing I think you know it, it is almost in Leipzig's interest to to let Timo Werner Move to Liverpool at some stage, whether that's this summer or at a, another point in the future, because you know it, it is there that you know the, the Red Bull Group and, and that sort of conglomerate of, of clubs. It, it is their model to buy these players, develop them, and move them on, and, and that, that I think is you know inevitably going to be the case with Timo Werner at some point. So you know I'd be surprised if something didn't happen at some stage. Whether that, of course, is is this summer? Who knows? Just you know, in terms of the FSG points, I think you you've got to be very careful what you wish for. I, I don't think Liverpool will overspend or or go silly in the transfer market. Certainly this summer, more than any other summer. But you know, they they have shown that when Jurgen Klopp has wanted players, they have given him money. They they have done the right thing at the right time. And you know, as Ian said before, if you know, if Timo Werner is absolutely set on Liverpool. Liverpool are absolutely set on him. If the price is right, they, they will get it done at some stage. But you know, Liverpool, as much as, as Kieran Maguire said that there is possibly a way for Liverpool to get this deal done, he did also say, of course, that they won't do it whilst taking any risks because Liverpool are 25 points clear at the top of the Premier League. If it's going to put them into potential financial uncertainty at some point down the line, it just simply is not worth the risk at this stage. So, Look, they've got all of the details. They know how good a player he is. They know how much he'll cost and his wages, his agent's fees and that sort of thing. It's, it's just a case of, of weighing it up and, and making sure that a sensible decision is made because we've seen that with every single other player that Liverpool have, have brought in or sold. It's always been the right player at the right time for the right price. And look, there's, there's no real reason to think that, that Timo Werner will be any different.
1: No, Werner Watch will continue on Blood Red. I am certain of that. Seems to do. Seems to be the new buzzword rather than Felipe Coutinho. Well, it's been great talking about Werner and having tripped down memory lane to talk about Istanbul. That's it from us here on the Blood Red podcast for this Monday edition. As I say, keep an eye out for Matt's exclusive interview with the RB Salzburg coach, Jesse Marsh, which will be with you on Tuesday afternoon across all of our Blood Red channels. Until next time, though, thanks for your time and your company. Bye for now.